Non-rock a boatus must stop. I don't want to rock the boat. I want to sink it. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy, or are you going to bite? Brett, delusional is okay in your worldview. I'm an animal. You don't chastise chickens for being delusional. You don't chastise pigs for being delusional. So you calling me delusional using your worldview is perfectly okay. It doesn't really hurt. <laughs> she hung up on me. Yeah! Yeah! What? What? Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Go into all the world and make disciples. Not go into the world and make buddies. Not to make brosives. Right. Don't go in the world and make homies. Right. Disciples. Well, I, yeah. got, I got a bit of a jiggle neck. <laughs> That's a joke, Pastor. When we have the real message of truth, we cannot let somebody say they're speaking truth when yeah. they're not. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Genesis 49.10. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Gospel Heard Around the World. This is Apologia Radio. Yeah, we're back in town. Yay! Yay. Celebration. Back, back. I got every disease that was on that plane all at once. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is the I'd one thing that. Be sure in that. And I'm well, still in town. Yeah. yeah. That was the one. Yeah, you are. Yeah. That's the one thing that was good. Or I'd say bad about the trip is that uh, we had a lot of people that got sick. Yeah, I'm still kind of getting yep. something. It's a lot of like people got sick. Day. So if I hack and wheeze on the show. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, Apologia Church brought a team of missionaries to the island of Kauai in Hawaii, the Hawaiian Islands, to see about a church plant, bringing the kingdom of God we to that island. We saw about it. We saw about it, and we're ready to go. Even more excited now than we were before. We brought our team and uh, more committed and have a, a plan in place and just pray for us because that place is uh, a perfect place uh, to bring the gospel. It's an island of 68,000 permanent residents dominated by the cults, the new age, and very, very limited, I would say, in terms of what the end goal is, very limited gospel presence on that island, and it is ripe for the picking. People are interconnected, families, people ready to talk, and we only found one Reformed church we're able to connect with out there, and so we're bringing a solid gospel Reformed church presence to the island of Kauai. Please pray for us. I do want to encourage you, if you haven't seen yet, go to YouTube, look up Apologia Studios, see one of the last videos that Marcus Pittman, King Ginger, an expert hey. in the art of filmmaking, uh, uh, see one of the videos he dropped. Yeah, can, I we, just, can, we just, no, can we just be honest? Yeah. Like, I mean, it was just all God's creation in that video. I just hit record. Well, that's it what you said. It was pretty easy to do. But I, Marcus, I do well, got to say this. I just saw the video yesterday, and I got to say, Kawhi and drone cameras, they go together like 
Think of the analogy. That's white. That's white on rice. Most of Kauai. Peanut butter and jelly. Most of Kauai. White on rice. White on rice. That's right. There's some areas in Kauai that don't go so well with drones. That's they true. They go together. Well, like, we don't talk about that area much. So we're going to talk about a lot on the show today. We're going to hey, talk about the drone survived. Yeah, that's well, all I'm, I'm, I want to tell the story. the story. Okay. So we're going to talk about reform theology, maybe some eschatology. We're going to talk about current cultural issues. But before we do that, we got to let you guys know what happened. So Marcus, go ahead and you bring everyone into the story. Well, we were. Fl- I was flying the drone. We were all, at Wide all week. All week. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, w- I mean, everywhere you would go it was beautiful. And then, so we went to, you said it was Waimea? Waimea Canyon. Yeah. Waimea Canyon, and it's about 3,000 feet high. And, and you know, there's this beautiful canyon with a waterfall. It's amazing. And obviously, I want to fly the drone, like, right to that waterfall. And I'm not thinking that the high altitude would affect how a drone flies. <laughs> but in the thin air. And the wind. Apparently, and the wind. And the wind, yeah. So with the thin air and the wind, it's, it was like flying it on ice. And so I, I, I'm bringing it back, and I gun it forward, because that's usually how you stop it, is you, if it's going in one direction, you turn it the other direction, and it stops. But instead of doing that, it kept going backwards, close to power lines, and then towards a tree. And I see Jeff running towards a tree, and at the very last second, uh, after I yelled at it to stop, because that's how you tell a drone to right. stop going to the tree, you yell at it to right. stop. Yeah, and, this is uh, Marcus. Yeah. It's flying back into the tree. It's literally in between the branches. And Marcus yeah. going, you can stop! see it too. Yeah. Stop! We have some footage. You I'll can post see the that. footage of it colliding I, with a tree, almost colliding with a tree. And so, like, I gun it up, I move it, uh, change the altitude of it, and shoot it to the sky. And like, right at the last minute, like it just like, I mean, at the last second, like it just shoots up. It was, was about to collide into the tree. If, if you watch it, you can see everybody, everybody. <laughs> crazy. Crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> I like you. Did you have a dart in your neck? He may have, but the way uh, he was driving that thing. But really, I, I really believe that God created Kauai uh, to fly drones on. Yeah. You can see in that like, video everybody clapping yeah, everybody, when he landed it. Everybody's for, just staring at it, hoping it lands. Except for me. You catch me in the corner of the film with my hand over my eyes because I couldn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> I literally my hurt. Uh, let me so. just say that we know Romans 1 says that all people know God. They suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. That which is known about God is evident within them. Paul What's says that have in Romans, to do with my flying a drone, I, I'm man? You, I'm telling you, because this is all. I'm going to tie the whole room together right now. Oh. Okay. And uh, <laughs> it says that that which is known about God is evident within them, for God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, it says, basically God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, everything is known about God through what has been made, and so it's impossible to to see the creation and not know God, see God, have God screaming at you. But I'll tell you what. When, a you're nice in, rug, by the when way. you're in Kauai, when you're in Kauai seeing God's creation, it is uber hard to be an atheist. Yeah. Especially when you fly them drones up them over drones Kauai. Up. Get that, that that drone though footage. Hashtag. It was hashtag that drone though. Yeah. It was it was a blessing. And uh, so we're gonna talk about a lot today, but let me just say something about the the issue of Kauai that hope maybe even encourages people in terms of like laying your life down for the gospel. The goal of the gospel, I would, say, I would say the goal of where we're moving forward is you evangelize, you disciple, you send. You evangelize, you disciple, you send. And we need to get the gospel out to the ends of the earth. I read you a Bible verse there from Genesis 49.10. It says that 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him, that's to Jesus, the Messiah, shall be the obedience of the peoples. Romans chapters 1 and 16, the Apostle Paul says, as bookends for the uh, explanation of the gospel, he says that that their, their, their job, their mission is to bring about the obedience of faith or the obedience that comes from faith among all the nations. I think that's going right back to Genesis 49.10. That's the mission of the gospel. Jesus says, disciple the nations. Here's a place, Kauai, that I think uh, Pastor Luke and I didn't anticipate the kind of comments you would get nah. from uh, church plan in Kauai. No. So uh, people say, oh, you're really suffering for the gospel yeah. in Kauai. Yeah, I know why you want to go to Kauai because yeah. it's paradise. Here's the thing. When you get there, you go, oh, oh, mm. oh, okay, I see. I get it, yeah. right? Dominated by the cults, this tightly knit island. Everybody knows each other. You cross paths with the same people across the island That's where you're there. That's the craziest You thing. run yes. into the same people. Yes. Everyone's interconnected. They're all about Ohana or family. And so yeah. basically everyone talks to one another. It's a perfect place for the gospel. Very limited uh, gospel presence there. And I think it's because of that very idea. People go, oh, it's paradise. They don't need Jesus. Or, oh, I know where you're going to Hawaii. You're going to Hawaii because it's a vacation spot. And the truth right. is, here's a place that desperately needs the gospel. And you could in a generation. It's an attainable goal through the power of God and his gospel and spirit. It's an attainable goal. You could bring the gospel to that island and see that whole island converted to Jesus. And I mean that. It's that kind of place. It needs the gospel. So we're going. Uh, we'll, we're like, okay, I'll go. I'll, I'll go. And, and, uh, and can I add, can you, um, actually, Jeff, can you confirm, uh, my, obviously my dad came, went. Yeah, your dad was there. He loved it. Yes. And so he told me a story. I want to see if you can confirm and kind of uh, iterate more on what happened. Is that, so I heard that... Gabe, who is one of our church members, went to a farmer's market and talked to, this is just me hearing from my dad, is that he talked to uh, some lady in the farmer's market that they are looking, they're looking, we're looking to plant a church. Oh, yeah, it's a yeah, reformed yeah, yeah. church. And she goes, yeah. oh my gosh, reformed Baptist? Oh, yeah. I tell me, tell, tell me about that. Luke was there. Luke, you guys, I'm just setting you guys well, up I, you guys I, were I there. I got to tell you this. I'm, I'm glad Jerry brought that up. I want Luke to tell the story. But let me tell you right now, we had these providential moments while we were there. We kept asking oh, we, God, God, give us these moments. You need the things that you need us to hear, the things you need us to see. And he just kept, for like day one of us on our feet there, it was moment after moment. We ran into the right people out of nowhere telling us stuff we needed to hear. So Luke, on like the second to last day, I think, or so, was with Gabe at the farmer's market. Yeah. So this is this is my mango story, I'm calling it. So mango. it goes further back. It goes further back than, than uh, even what you probably know. So we went to this one farmer's market in the morning, which was supposed to be the largest on the islands. And I wanted a dang mango, right? Their mangoes there are amazing. So I looked at this entire farmer's market. Nobody had a mango. They had you all every other vegetable and fruit. Nobody had a mango. Which is weird for Kauai. Which is weird. And even Jeff was like, that's weird. I thought I saw something. Like, so did I. No, no mangoes. Right. So I was like really like, man, I was like really upset. Like I wanted a mango. So we go, we come back from that one and uh, I had to get some gas. So Gabe and I... And Christian and Esther, we went and got some gas. And then while I was out, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to the other end of town because I know there was a little fruit stand. They had some mangoes there. So I go to this other fruit stand, get the mango. While I'm getting the mango, then Gabe goes across the street to another farmer's market. Mm -hmm. So I get the mango. I was all yeah. excited. I go over there to grab him. And then he's like, dude, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, what? So he starts talking to this lady who's, you know, she's like, what are you guys doing here? And Gabe's like, we're planning a church. And she's like, oh, what kind of church? And Gabe's like, oh, it's, you know, we're, we're Reformed Baptists. You probably haven't heard of it. She goes, uh, 
I'm Reformed Baptist. Mm-hmm. And Gabe was like, what? And so, like, we started talking to this lady, and they got, like, a group of eight people. They're Reformed Baptists. They meet in the house. They don't even have a church. That's amazing. Yeah, just crazy. So and, here, they're, and they're natives, right? And they're natives, yeah. Wow. Uh, yes! That's awesome! <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, no, her, name was, I think it, her name was Narnette. She yeah. was, like, the sweetest lady. So, like... If, if the other farmer's market yeah. would have had the stupid mango I wanted, this never would have happened. Like, yeah. just crazy. And that's seriously cool, man, because, I mean, I have a huge heart for missions, and I love hearing this. I've heard the stories all the time about missionaries who go somewhere to minister and to go serve and start sharing the gospel. And there's people, the locals already there, they're either either Christians, like, hoping and praying for people from the outside, or essentially they're unbelievers, but, you know, they've either, either somehow seen you know, a vision or they've been praying about someone from the outside, you know, that's going to give them a message of hope, and there they are giving them the gospel. And in your case, yeah. you have believers that are in the small house, and maybe us going there and planting a church is what they need to get right. thoroughly equipped and start getting the gospel out there, and even... Who knows? I mean, it could be something where right away, if they say they became part of Apologia Kauai, all of a sudden you have, you know, mm-hmm. all, a bunch of locals and natives right. in the mix already. Right. So it's not just outsiders, you know? Right. Yeah. And so I wanted to share that story with you because I think it demonstrates that God is moving constantly. He's at work constantly. And so the fact that we ran into these, this underground small church of Reformed Baptists just really struggling on an island uh, for a community and solid teaching was just an awesome thing, and it all came from um, a mango. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? That's crazy. Because here's the thing that's weird about it, what I was saying to Luke. uh, Both of us were like, what? Because we were in Kauai last year on our mission to scope the island out and figure it out. Uh, mangoes everywhere. 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 On everywhere. the side of the road, everywhere there are mangoes, and we couldn't find a mango on this day. And he finally goes back to this one place, has a mango, and he runs into this lady, happens to have a conversation, and there you go. Praise the Lord. Awesome. You know oh. what You know what else the island's missing? What? A, a lack of, uh, they have a lack of beards. They do. We got a lot of comments about our beards. I have, I, <laughs> we did. I got we, multiple comments. All week, people were like, is there a beard convention was, in town? Did you hear that story, actually? <laughs> yeah. So the last night we were there, we were most of us were inside at Taco Bell, I think, getting some food, and Gabe was out in the parking lot, and he said, he said these guys come out, and they're like, man, did you see all the beards in there? Yeah. Like One guy was like, I, I saw them all at Java Kai. That's a coffee shop. He's like, I saw them all at Java Kai. That's the coffee shop. Yeah, the No wonder you guys came back sick going to and, Taco uh, Bell. And uh, that, yeah. uh, anyway, yeah. that, that was, not, that was uh, not on purpose. So then, this, uh, so then the, guy goes, the guy goes, man, I, there must be like a beard convention on there. <laughs> There's something going on with beards. I've never seen so many beards at yeah, one time. That's true. That's true. So there you go. We already made our mark. And speaking of beards, beards may be more hygienic and bacteria resistant than shaven skin. What? Study finds. This from the Independent. Beards may contain bacteria, which could potentially be developed into new antibiotics. That's right. Hey. A new study has about. found. It's researchers amazing. found that clean shaven men were actually more likely to harbor infection-causing bacteria resistant to antibiotics when compared mm. to bearded men. You hear that? You hear that, everybody? All you fanny pack wearing Did dudes. you hear that? I By the it. way, Brian, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Brian comes with us on our trip. He's we, an amazing man. We love Brian and Tori. And I'm just going to go ahead and talk about you right now, Brian, because I can. We're separated by enough distance. Uh, Brian 
knows our show, loves our show, loves our ministry, and knows how we feel about fanny packs. Yes. And for some reason, this man had the gall, had the audacity, had the nerve on an apology at church missions trip. He had the nerve to wear a fanny pack, and Uh he meant to. And his shirt said Solideo Gloria. Yeah. That doesn't work. Yeah. That does not bring glory. And so he says to me at one point, he says, do you want to wear my fanny pack? I said, no, (laughs) I have a beard. Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) The study published in the Journal of Hospital Infection tested swabs from the faces of 408 hospital staff with and without facial hair. According to the results, clean shaven men are more than Pastor Luke. Are you ready? Ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure you can take this in right? Okay. According to the results, clean-shaven men are more than three times as likely to be carrying methicillin-resistant mm. staph uh. MRSA oh, gross. on their cheeks oh. as their bearded counterparts. Oh, That Wait. sounds like a reason for wives to let their men have beards. Clean-shaven, just be like, honey, do you want MRSA? <laughs> <laughs> Clean-shaven men were also more than 10% more likely to have colonies of Staphylococcus aureus. They have colonies on their face. A bacterium that causes skin and respiratory infections and food poisoning ladies ladies chip can we talk hey, to chip. you hey chip <laughs> let's we, have a conversation chip can we talk to you a minute about the beards if you're into that let, let's talk to jada for a second she's all uh, she's all over dennis about the beard sometimes yeah. and i just want to say to jada, good, jada you're it's, like it's good jada it's you're good. an expert in all things health food health conscience you're mm. like very crunchy with the essential oils and all the rest you need to think about the beards as sanitation for your house irrefutable you know what i'm saying it's like people diffuse oils in their houses to kill bacteria floating in the air why not let your man grow the beard I diffuse beard and hair the beard actually it what it does is it attracts all the viruses and the bacteria from the home it brings it into the beard and it annihilates <laughs> it's it's a nat- <laughs> hey it <laughs> annihilates <laughs> do you know what it is do you know you know what it really is it's what? a it's a naturopathic vaccine for your face amen and so god let me say knew what he was doing mm-hmm. right. when he put the fur on the man's face so here's what we're saying. We're saying if you want to have a healthy lifestyle, lead a, cl- a healthy, clean life. If you want to have your children happy and healthy, you need to get with the man beard. You know what I'm saying? And ladies, ladies, spirit beards are always welcome on Apology Radio. Yeah, I'm definitely sure it wasn't until after the fall when Adam was like, man, I got to shave this mess. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> okay. Hashtag real talk. Hey, real talk. All right, guys, so we're going to be right back. Take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to do some NPR, not public radio, with our boy. You know what I didn't do? I didn't make the introductions to our new listeners. I'm Jeff, the ninja. That's Luke the Bear. What up? And Aloha. over there is Steady Randy. Hello. Steady Randy. And we have, of course, over here. Nostral Domus. Nostral Domus. Some call him the mouth because he does all the wonderful voices. And we also the have mouth. in the back. The mouth. voice. We have, I thought it was the, the mouth. Oh, the mouth. Okay. The voice. I'm whatever you want me okay. to be. And we have a King Ginger in the back right there. And we have, of course, Greg. G-Low. G-Low in the back on the ones and twos. He's working on the audio now, and uh, you'll be getting a lot more of him. So we'll be right back. Apologyradio.com. Don't forget, guys, 
Sign up for the All Access at ApologiaRadio.com. Get lots of more content, and you can also support Apologia Church. And guess what we're doing in this episode? Guess what we're doing? We are announcing yes, sir. the winner. Oh. The winner. Oh. Of oh. our special giveaway. All of you guys who are all access, we're put into a raffle giveaway situation because we want to bless you with a gift. We are flying somebody out to Arizona who's going to be with us in the studio. We're going to take you out to dinner. We're going to hang out with you. We're going to get you a hotel room. You're going to be in Apologia Studios on a show, and we're going to pay for it all just to bless our and listeners. At Meat Fest 2016. At Meat Fest 2016. Somebody is coming to Arizona. We'll find out who it is. On this episode, we're going to keep you in suspense, though. You know how we do. Ladies and gentlemen, beauties and beasts, I have some good news for you. But in order for me to tell you the good news, I must share with you the bad. A beard can be a most magnificent thing, but it can also be the downfall of a man. An unmaintained beard prevents a face from shining. An unmaintained beard causes dry, itchy skin. An unmaintained beard is a source of beardruff. You know, like dandruff, but beardruff. An unmaintained beard is sharp and ruthless, like iron bristles, not good for the lady friend. An unmaintained beard forfeits future growth based on the lack of preparation today. And let's not forget that an unmaintained beard robs your face from smelling amazing. Let not thy beard be thy downfall protect your manlyhood an epic combination of manliness and manhood if you're hearing this today there is hope for your beard go to youcosbeard.com and enter the code apologia and you can save some money while you save your face Welcome to Apologia NPR, not public radio, recorded in the third week of the year of our Lord, 2016. There is a need to start the segment this week discussing last week's quotation about the athlete formerly known as Bruce. It seems that some people who listen to the show feel justified in acting like a bunch of modern day Bereans by actually testing what is said for truth. <laughs> Sadly, in the attempt of blending satire with real news, I was caught up in someone else's satire. I did check the veracity of the quote before sharing it using a second reference, but that second source ended up being analogous to checking the truth of Benny Hinn's theology using Joyce Meyer as a source. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Therefore, I must retract the statement that the attributed quote was true. In keeping with the Back to the Future motive from the last presentation, you could say, I biffed it. <laughs> and to you modern-day Bereans, I salute you. Yay. It, it, oh, real, real quick. Oh, uh, oh my what is happening? What is happening? That was great. So one thing we didn't actually highlight that was wonderful, <laughs> and I can't believe we missed it. I don't know why we were being so mellow-headed that day, is we found a new thing. Uh, somehow you slipped, Randy, when you were talking about Bruce Jenner last week, and you said Bruce Jenner, which what? will now be how we refer. I didn't even catch that. You didn't what? catch it. Wow. I didn't no, catch it. No. It slipped right past us, and Bruce Jenner, good to go. <laughs> okay, please continue. Hard to believe. All right, back in September, the 9th and 10th undercover videos regarding Planned Parenthood were released and included the phrases, What's going on? Oh, yeah, the fetus was already in the vaginal canal. Whenever we put her in the stirrups, it just fell out. 
and representatives saying they sell fresh aborted baby eyes, hearts, and gonads. In November, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan said Planned Parenthood practices were gruesome and that federal funding should be cut. In January, the House voted to defund Planned Parenthood. The legislation was sent to President Obama for approval with a predictable result. The whole effort seemed like some kabuki play with stylized drama and elaborate disguises for the participants. Maybe Marcus can be forgiven for thinking the quote I totally made up last week that Ryan might have the government confiscate time machines in order to rescue babies retroactively was true. <laughs> With about 90% of Congress self-identifying as Christian, is there a sense something big should have happened last year but didn't? What should the Christian who wants to see an end to this be focused on this year? Well, that's a big one. Marcus, I'll let you start. Uh, well, I think when they uh, made the budget for the year, the Republicans made the budget... They could have just removed Planned Parenthood from the budget. That would have been the easiest way I mean, that, I mean, they have the ability to do that, and they didn't. They put it in the budget and then went and made the defund Planned Parenthood thing. Well, y'all just put it in the budget. Right. <laughs> right? Like, that's the silliest thing. So what do we do moving forward? Well, as we said in our new film... The Kingdom of God by Jake Alexander Bryant, which is available on Vimeo on right demand. now. On demand. Uh, as we said there, if abortion is going to end, it's the Christian church mm -hmm. that's going to end it. And so how do we end any kind of cultural decay? How do we confront any sin in society? Guns. It is with the gospel. <laughs> oh, Wrong sorry. show. Okay, sorry. This is not red flag news or <laughs> something. Okay. Okay. With the gospel. And so if you're asking the question, how do we proceed moving forward? Will you proceed moving forward by speaking the truth about abortion, calling it murder, and calling our nation to repent uh, of its murderous heart? The blood of these children cries out to God from the ground, and it will be responded to by God. I do pray for God's mercy for our nation. But 60 million babies plus slaughtered since Roe v. Wade is something that I do not believe God is going to turn a blind eye to. And unless our nation, I believe, unless our nation actually forms together in national repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ, I believe that we have, um, looking forward to us, I think we have the wrath of God and the judgment of God to look forward to as a nation. So we call people to repentance and faith in Jesus to receive his life and forgiveness. We call our nation to national repentance. That's what we have to do. And I think one of the things we have to do is begin exposing abortion for what it truly is, and that is murder by using every possible means. Mm -hmm. We have the gift of social media today. We can expose abortion on a level we could not have done 20 years ago. And I think we need to be aggressive in doing that. We need to be gracious but bold. And I think we need to start yesterday. And one of the things Apologia Studios plans to do is through the Red Door Ministry, we plan to expose abortion for what it is and fill the internet, them internets, with propaganda. Christian, godly, righteous propaganda. That's what we're going to do. Amen. Excellent. Amen. Excellent. All right. David Bowie, a.k.a. Ziggy Stardust, passed away earlier this month, and his album Black Star was released. A music commentator called the 10-minute video for the title track intensely creepy. In the New Yorker, one writer said, 
For me, the album's contribution to the vexing question of human existence lies in the way Bowie struggles to articulate the human struggle to articulate. Yes, that's really what it said. (laughs) Theories for exactly what the subject of the Black Star video was ran the gamut from a restatement of Bowie's Major Tom to the also-late Michael Jackson. With its twitching actors and a reference to sedatives, some saw a representation of antipsychotic medication, a return to David's angst about his schizophrenic half-brother Terry, who escaped a mental institution to lie down in front of a train. Others saw an expression of Planet X theory. For those who don't know, this theory proposes that there is a giant rogue planet about to destroy the Earth. Supporters point to observatories being closed suspiciously, ancient texts suggesting an additional planet, the sun acting abnormally, an increasing amount of earthquakes, and weird weather. Just think of it as the pre-mill theory of Black Star. In 2012, the journal Nature published a paper saying that a massive outer solar system perturber may exist. The paper reported discovery of what appears to be a dwarf planet dubbed 2012 VP113, nicknamed Biden. And just yesterday, (laughs) yes, it's true. And just yesterday, two scientists from UC Santa Cruz claim they have located a new planet X with one of its orbits around the sun taking 15,000 years. Wow. Whatever Black Star may or may not be about, there are clearly religious references in the video, and some of those are specifically Christian. One showing uh, Bowie mutely lifting up a black book with a black star as a preacher might. Three creepy figures writhe dancing on crucifixes in a dark field. And then the lyrics, On the Day of Execution, and I'm the Great I Am. In 2003, Bowie was interviewed by Belief.net at the time his album Reality was released, and he said, it's actually about who's stolen this world. When asked how his thinking about reality had changed or deepened, he said, I honestly believe that my initial questions haven't changed at all. There are far fewer of them these days, but they're really important. Questioning my spiritual life has always been germane to what I was writing, always. It's because I'm not quite an atheist, and it worries me. There's that little bit that holds on, well, I'm almost an atheist. Give me a couple of months. Goodbye, David Bowie. Mm. Wow. Mm. It sounded like Bowie might be in space. Bowie's in in space. space. I got it. Hey, Bowie, (laughs) do you have one really funky sequence space suit? Or do you have several ch-changers? Do you smoke grass out in space, Bowie? Or do they smoke astroturf? Receiving transmission from David Bowie's nipple antenna. Do you believe me, Lieutenant Bowie? All right, go ahead. You were you were saying? I was going to say that uh, well, he passed away the day we left for Kauai. Yes. So I posted Space Oddity, the video, and and uh, on Facebook. So my wife. My wife texted me while we were in Kauai, and so my oldest, she's Evie, she's five, so I guess she really, really likes Space Oddity. Like, she loves it. She watched it a lot while I was gone. And so Cheryl texted me and said, said we've been watching, ba- according to Evie, Baby Bowie. Baby Bowie. And the song uh, Down Control to Major Trump. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> to Major Trump. That's good. Day. 
That's good. All right, uh, please. All right. If the raw forces of the universe seem less than benevolent, with nefarious, perturber planets named Biden lurking about, you are not alone. Stephen Hawking gave us hope in a lecture last year when he said, If you feel you're in a black hole, don't give up. There's a way out. Black holes ain't as black as they are painted. They are not the eternal prisons they were once thought. Things can get out of black a black hole both on the outside and possibly come out in another universe. Yes, that was actually said too. Wow. Wow. So, prior to his lecture, he spoke to the BBC where he said, most of the threats humans now face come from science and technology, such as nuclear weapons and genetically engineered viruses. So, not religion in this case. Science and technology. Science and technology. Yes, there we go. Who would have imagined? On a similar note, University of Kent paleoanthropologist Dr. Matthew Skinner described how the human physical appearance might evolve if melting ice caps caps cause rising sea levels due to climate change. Global warming could cause humans to develop web feet, gills, and cat's eyes. We are Devo. <laughs> that, Has anyone that seen the movie Waterworld? Yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, I think there was a few people that saw that. <laughs> that would have that been a good spot for Hardly. you to drop in. <clears throat> changes There we go. There we go. So uh, it's tied the room together. You know, now Jeff and Luke, you guys are, are Christians, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So does that mean? Does that mean you? Uh, like, <laughs> that was so condescending. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure worse has been said, right? <laughs> All right. So do you guys like hate science or just really a poor reason or what? What's kind of the angle there? Well, yeah, it's good. To, that's a good question to ask, and this would be good for especially new listeners uh, to hear. Uh, it was a Christian worldview that gave modern science its great big pop. If you go to a ApologiaRadio.com. Look in the past episodes. We've done some episodes on modern science and the Christian worldview. Uh, it is the biblical worldview that gives a foundation to science at all. You can't have logic, immaterial, and variant uh, that is unchanging, uh, necessary universal laws in a naturalistic, materialist worldview. In other words, the atheistic worldview cannot provide the preconditions necessary for logic, nor can you have the principle of induction in in any coherent way without uh, the God of the Bible providing a justification and means to that appeal. So really, it's the Christian worldview that owns science. Excellent. And and are there any presuppositions? I mean, scientists consider themselves to be reasonable and and rational, right? Yes. So they don't have any presuppositions they don't argue for? Yeah, everybody has presuppositions and commitments, pre-beliefs that they assume. Uh, Some people believe, you know, might call that an axiom. Uh, Basically, their their commitments, worldviews, nobody is neutral. Everybody has a particular way they view the world and the way they frame the world and a way they actually approach the world. And so there are no simple brute facts. We all go about the business of interpretation when we go about uh, anything uh, in our day. We always interpret the world in a particular way. And so any scientist uh, that approaches the, yeah, the gospel train, yeah, right there. Just keep going. We'll just... Okay, that's the gospel train, y'all. I don't know if you guys hear it in the background, but it is flying past us right now. Yeah, the gospel train. Um, so, yes, scientists all have pre-commitments and pre-beliefs, ways that they see reality, ways that they view knowledge, ways that, way that they view ethics. All right, excellent. So I want to play a short in-studio game okay. with, uh, with you guys. Oh, I love games. All right. So I could have called this Secret Agency Man, but we'll just call it Agency for short. 
and I'm going to read an article, supposedly heavily uh, heavily influenced by science, right? Okay. Comes, comes from one of those sites that's called I Really, Really Like Science or something like oh, that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I caught the joke. Yes, okay. You guys got the joke? I didn't catch it. The site's called I effing love science. Oh, really, really like How come nobody... Is it just you and me, Randy? I don't know. Okay. It's it's the atheists on the team that keep giving me up. those articles yes. to read. So, yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, I want you to ring a bell or make some other sound. Uh, anytime uh, during the reading of the story, there's a, a concept of agency that's smuggled into the story or some other presupposition that you want to highlight. And you can stop anytime and, and comment on... Like there that? There we go. Yeah, perfect. That's awesome. It's like dinner Any, bell. Anything you want to comment as I read this. So it, okay. might, it might even start in the title here. The title is... Everybody can feel free to join in here. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All multicellular life on Earth is the result of a random 600 million year old accident. <laughs> Explain yourself. Well, uh, there, that just... When you approach the discussion in that way... You've already assumed the naturalistic, materialistic, Darwinian view of the future. I would say of life. I'm sorry, of life. And so that's the smuggled-in belief. Excellent. It's just assumed. Excellent. But okay. we're challenging that. Yes, and that's yeah. just the title. Yeah. All right. Just, that was just the title? That was just the title. <laughs> I thought that was the first sentence. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. This is going to be long. Just one random mutation 600 million years ago made it possible for our earliest single-celled ancestors to evolve into complex organisms. Well, well um... <laughs> <laughs> just ring it in case, huh? Well, just I'll just keep that on repeat there. Okay. <laughs> um, well, but there you go. So, so first of all, um, it's... Evolution is, works as a calling force. It actually takes away. It's not, cre it's not creating and adding new information, developing new systems, complex systems. It's a calling force. Um, it removes the weak. It doesn't create the strong, ultimately. And so, but th there it is again. It's the smuggled in pre-belief and pre-commitment to naturalistic materialism, Darwinian uh, micromutation, macroevolutionary worldview. Uh, there you go. All right. Life on Earth consisted of single cells for billions of years. Multicellular organisms eventually arose as single cells began taking on specialized roles and working together in various arrangements that ultimately became the tissues and organs of animals, plants, and fungi. <laughs> this whole thing is a presupposition. Yeah, you just keep pushing. It, it, it's ding, just, ding. <laughs> he, what, he, what is he doing? He's opening his Bible. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's all that's happening. He's opening his Bible. The Bible has a view of origins. This man has a view of origins that conflicts with the Bible. The question is, which worldview comports with reality? Which worldview can provide a foundation for all that he's trying to do? Um, but it's important to recognize that the biblical worldview frames our history in terms of our, our, our first parents. Mm. And God has our first parents created um, in special creation as image bearers of God with immediate value and dignity and worth from the moment of conception, you could say. And um, God has humanity formed at the beginning, not over uh, billions of right. years of evolutionary time through all these micromutations. And um, that's, by the way, scientifically speaking, that's not even a possibility. I'd point everyone to creation.com. Our buddies over at uh, Creation Ministries International that will uh, help you in debunking all of this mm -hmm. uh, really fantasy. All right. I'll read one last section here. 
We do know that neighboring cells must coordinate with each other on their positions when they divide, an important part of replicating themselves. And one key aspect of this process is the orientation of a structure called the mitot mitotic spindle, which distributes the chromosomes of the parent cell among the two daughter cells. A little bit delay there. It's kind yeah. of a long sentence. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I mean, I, this this is supposed to be what now? 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 Yeah, what y'all want? This says that we all came from, uh, as they said, a result of a random 600 million year old accident. Okay, I see. Very, very interesting. So we have um, inorganic matter that becomes organic through some sort of a mystical, magical reconfiguration and you have all of this chaos turning into complexity, and Christians are the ones that believe in miracles. Yeah. So they got the mother and daughter cells and all that stuff by complete accident. Yeah. And, and, and the question is, all of, this, all of this activity takes particular proteins, it takes particular building blocks, and all of that stuff takes um, machinery, and it has a certain mechanic to it. But here's the thing. You get all of that because you have information at the bottom of it. So how do you get information that feeds all of this stuff and the structures? How do you get the information, the building blocks, without somebody behind that information? How do you get the information? And that's what's interesting here and what gets missed here, and what, which is why there's such a full-on heavy destruction of the Darwinian model of, of origins because once you start looking at DNA and the language of life, all of this nonsense and this mythical um, uh, view of origins just blows up because it's not as simple as they like to try to put on a page. When you have something going from inorganic to organic, that's a leap. That's a gigantic leap that even someone like Dawkins recognizes is very difficult to get around. And when you start looking at the bottom of life, you begin to see that this stuff is irreducibly complex. And I'm not just basing the argument fully on irreducible complexity, but you begin to see that all of life is irreducibly complex. And you have to have information at the bottom of this. And listen, here's the question you're going to ask. Can you provide the preconditions of intelligibility for information in an evolutionary model of the world that is naturalistic, materialistic, can you even provide an answer for, because guess what? Information is not material. Can you touch the right. number two? Can you touch two nests? The universal two nests, the information in two nests? Can you touch the idea of dog? Can you touch the idea of blue? Now, you might be able to write down the conception on a piece of paper. You might be able to actually put the color out. But the concept, the information itself is immaterial. Where can you get immaterial universal truths and laws? Not from atheism. Right. You don't get it from naturalistic materialism. You can only have that in a meaningful, coherent way in the biblical worldview. All right. Excellent. Well, I'll end it there. The article's longer, but as you pointed out, there's pretty much the same thing over and over again. So what do we what do we touch there? Ready? The myth of neutrality. Nobody is neutral. This scientist is not neutral. Everything that he works on, uh, he works on through his commitments to his view of origins and all of life. He has a world and life view, and he regimens his commitments based upon that world and life view. And he does his science based upon that world and life view. You know what we need? More Christians. Um, that are experts and professionals in the scientific community. We have yeah. lots of them now. We need lots more. 
How about raising your kids and when they say, I want to get into science, say, yeah, do that. Do that and be the best at it. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do to the glory of God. And I think that this could lead us into the commercial with just this. If we have a long-term view of the future, then we invest in the world, in our future, and we begin to invest in Christians in all these areas of expertise, taking dominion and bringing glory to Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Be right back, guys. ApologiaRadio.com. We're going to talk about Calvinism, Reformed theology, and some cultural issues. We might even have a little bit of Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders might show up. Hi, kids. I'm here in the studio. God bless. Be right back. So it seems as though, Isn't it great? Uh, yeah, it seems as though <laughs> our, our current American Christian culture is under the delusion uh-huh. that there is a separation between our faith and the world of politics. Yes. Let me just say, I meant it when I said delusion. You see, politics concerns moral issues. Name a poli- name a political issue. I'll show you a moral foundation. How about this? Ready? Abortion. Is the abortion debate a political debate? It certainly is. Is the abortion debate a debate about morality? It certainly is. How about the debate over immigration? Is that a moral issue? I'd say what you do with people who are image bearers of God is always a moral issue. What about mandatory vaccines? Mandatory vaccines, definitely a moral issue. Who owns your kids? Mm. Does the state own your children or do you own your children? I'm going to try and stump you. Definitely a moral issue. Uh, Whether it be vaccines, uh, whether it be education. Is education a moral issue? It certainly is. See those kids over in Europe that got taken away? I did see that. I did see that. So think about public educa- education. We think about that. Is that a moral issue? It certainly is a moral issue because you have to ask the question, who owns the kids? Is it the state or is it the family? And then you also have to think about the issue that the public education system is indoctrinating young children in an unbelieving, anti-Christian, Christophobic worldview. Mm. That's certainly a moral issue. And if you think about the fact that nobody in America really owns their land anymore, you don't own your land. You may pay off your house in full, pay the bill, and you own the deed. But guess what? You are always paying rent to the government. Why? 
because you have to pay property taxes. What are property taxes? They're essentially rent. Because here's what happens. They take the majority of those property taxes and they pay for state programs like public education. And here's what happens. What if, say, Pastor Luke bought his house? He bought his house and spent 30 years paying for it. After buying his house, he doesn't pay his property taxes. What will they do to Pastor Luke? They take my house. They will take the house. They'll put a lien against the property until you pay the taxes for public schools and programs like that. And so is that a moral issue? That's certainly a moral issue. And what we do with our economy, those are moral issues. How you spend your money when the government takes your money, those are moral issues. So let me just encourage you, brothers and sisters, with humility, with respect, with love, to consider the fact that the Christian worldview is all about politics. It's not simply about politics, but it comes with a fundamental assertion. What's the assertion? Jesus is Lord. And when you say Jesus is Lord over Caesar, you are engaged in politics. Because if you say that Jesus has something to say to politicians and how they run the government, then you are engaged in a political conversation. It's impossible to get away from. Let me just say this too. Don't forget that in the book of Acts, you can actually see the Christian church immediately coming into conflict with the political establishment, not on purpose, not because they wanted to create problems or foment revolution, but because they were saying Jesus is Lord and they would not say Kai Securios. They would not receive the ultimate authority of the government and the state over their lives. They wouldn't take the mark on their head or their hands. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, you shall bind this on your head and your hands when you rise up, when you lie down, when you go along the way, you shall teach your children these things. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. A mark on your head and your hand. In the book of Revelation, the Christians would not receive the mark of the beast on their head or their hands. They would not receive the ultimate authority, come under the ultimate authority of the beast, that is the state. And I want to say this, Christians in any culture and society are going to have to face the same kinds of conflicts as the church faced in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, they were charged with this. They say there's another king, Jesus. And so the world of politics is an issue, is, is a world that Christians better start engaging in if they love their neighbor. Because it's all about love for neighbor. It really is all about love for neighbor. Whether it's the unborn being destroyed in the womb, whether it's the neighbor being stolen from, whatever it is, it's about love for neighbor. Brothers and sisters, there's a difference, though, between politics and petty partisan disputes. In other words, I do not believe that Christians ought to be uh, petty partisan politics panderers. Mm, Wow. There you go. Uh, wow. Well played. We should not so be you, that. Are you saying that you shouldn't use the Bible, the Bible, the Bible? Yeah. To drive your, we, to in drive other your words, point, huh? Christians should not be in a political discussion. Christian churches should not be putting up uh, signs in their front saying, vote for John, vote for Bill. That's petty partisan pandering politics, and Christians should be involved in that. However, Christians do need to be involved in speaking into the cultural context with the Word of God, with the authority of Jesus Christ, because... Every conversation is an opportunity to talk about Jesus and the gospel. When you talk about the political conversation like abortion, 
that's a gospel conversation because what are you saying it's murder god calls you to repent of it and you need to stop murdering babies come to jesus for salvation and for forgiveness see that stop feel stop stealing money from people why because it's sin to steal money from people and people go to hell for stealing money from people and you better repent of that in a hurry and turn to jesus see that's a gospel conversation what about foreign policy? Is that oh, a gospel issue? Oh, boy, that is a gospel issue. Did I just issue. open up a can of worms? You certainly did. Oh, no. Because if you think about this for a second, and I do right. want to hear you talk about this, when you think about the current American um, mindset about foreign policy, you have the idea that the American uh, people, that the American government, that our nation really um, has the right to invade foreign lands to, to start wars without even being attacked. Talk that, to the people in Kauai about that. That Yeah, that never was part. <laughs> by the way, it, it's just speaking about the, the beginning of our nation, the genesis of our nation, we had a foreign policy that understood you don't provoke other nations to war when you are not directly threatened by them or attacked by them. That was our foreign policy. And now we have a foreign policy where we just think we can go anywhere we please to spread the empire of America. And you might be saying, whoa, Jeff, this is getting crazy political. No, this is crazy moral. This is crazy moral. It's a moral issue when America is dropping bombs on people, including women and children, to serve American interests. And I'm going to say this as Christians. We serve the King of Kings. We're not trying to spread America. We're not trying to say America. America. America Christianity. We're saying kingdom of God. Jesus is Lord. Submit to him. Experience his peace. And we've got to start talking about these things, which brings us into today's political discussion. We need to have like an opener for that, some sort of a, an opener. You know what we would love to do? How about this? Listeners, you guys can actually join with us. Let's do this. I, I'd like to do this. I want to challenge you guys, uh, anybody who's really talented and artistic, create a little bumper for us, about 20 seconds, of an intro for our political discussions segments. That We'll do that. So, okay, if you're yes, good, that's if, a great idea. If you're good at this, create a 20-second bumper where we can introduce the political discussion segment with the Word of God. 20 seconds. If you get, if you, if you win, we'll announce your name. We'll even interview on the show, and we will play your bumper at the beginning of our political discussion segment. Sound good? Sounds yeah. great, Marcus. You like that? I like that. Okay, so let's talk. They about, gotta be good, though. They gotta be really good. Yeah. So be creative and listen. We love fun. We love edgy. We, we love, love artsy. Artsy. We do. We like it. We actually do like artsy. We do a like lot. artsy a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Just quickly, I know Marcus wanted to talk about this, and so do I. Uh, this is a big one. And I think, I don't even think that we necessarily are cognizant and aware of the fact that the Bible does speak to this kind of stuff. Walmart, kind of big company. Walmart, unless you're in Kauai. Unless you're in Kauai, there's only one Walmart, and it's very small. It's not overly helpful. Uh, I'll just say this. There are people that show up at Walmart that you only see at Walmart. Yeah. You never see them anywhere else. They only... They come to Walmart, they're there, then they leave, and... Then they don't exist anywhere else. They only exist when they show up at Walmart. <laughs> I could make a very strong philosophical argument you for could. that. Schroeder's Walmart cat. People of Walmart, I would say go see it, but I love you too much to make that recommendation. Uh, Walmart closing <laughs> store in Los Angeles over... Are you ready for this? Could you have guessed it? $15 minimum wage. Yeah, they're closing mm. 100 and more than 100 stores 
across all the country. Really? Across the country. Yeah. Uh huh. Walmart. Walmart is closing stores. And most of them, I believe, are in minimum wage states. When does that happen? Hmm. Walmart is closing store in Los Angeles. Over fifteen dollar minimum wage. Those states. Here is from the Young Conservatives website. Uh, actually, from Breitbart. Los Angeles residents of impoverished Chinatown were shocked to learn on January 17th that the Walmart <laughs> they pleaded for years to get will be shut down at 7 p.m. Sunday evening due to the city's new $15 minimum wage mm. ordinance and union harassment. Immigrant Hispanic and Asian residents of central Los Angeles campaigned for years for a quote-unquote big box retailer to locate in their economically depressed neighborhood to compete against liquor stores that sold a limited number of food items at very high prices. In September 2013, Walmart finally opened a 33,000-square-foot grocery and drugstore in the Chinatown area. Crowds flocked to the store for lower food costs, substantially cheaper pharmaceuticals, and even ethnic offerings. But labor leaders immediately started protesting against the store for refusing to unionize, even though 100 Walmart employees refused to sign union cards. During the November 4, 2014 Black Friday protests in downtown Los Angeles led by the union-funded movement Generations Justice and Ecology Project, thousands of protesters were bussed in to protest against Walmart, destroying downtown even though the company only had one store in Chinatown. Here we go. But after succeeding and pushing through a minimum wage that was set to start on January 1st at $10 an hour and jumping steps to 15 in 2018, unions and liberals have begun to panic that spiking wages might actually cause the 15% rate of unemployment among those with a high school diploma or less to rise. Well, yay socialism. Yay. So, I have a, so I have a question. Yeah. So in regards to the debate about the minimum wage, how is this a gospel issue? Where does the law of God play into this as a Christian? Uh, I can go there. Yeah, Marcus, go ahead. Okay, go. so go ahead. we can go to the parable of the vineyard workers, right? That's the, right. The yeah. parable of yes, the vineyard workers. You have the guys who are paid... Uh, for a whole day's wage and then the guy comes in at the end of the day and he's still paid a whole day's wage and the guys who worked all day and got paid the same amount complained to the vineyard owner and said hey that's that's not fair that's not fair pay fair pay and the vineyard owner who in this is uh, supposedly god in the parable and he replies and he says is don't i have the right to do with my money as i please and didn't you agree to work for that wage? So there's a lot. There's a lot there. Matthew twenty fifteen, Marcus. Yeah, that's the verse you're pointing to. Right, that's correct. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Yes. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, here's the thing, Marcus. There's a lot here. That's though. just a story. Well, no, it's not it's, Jesus. Come on, Marcus. You're King well, Ginger. You're a, trying to build an what? entire economic. <laughs> But I totally yes. But I totally thought that Jesus was a socialist. I'm so confused. Well, here's the thing: if you do not believe that uh, that the principle here is true, then you can't believe that the theology is true. So this is a Calvinist doctrine right here, right? God can do what He wants as He pleases with His stuff, and 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 the principle here is that it's His money. The, own, the, the vineyard owner owns his money, and the people work as they wish. And then the vineyard owner is, is able to uh, give the money out 
as he wishes because it's his. He owns it. Okay. It. So what's the moral issue here? Private property rights. Yes. Is it your money or is it the government's money that they allot to you? When the government steps... Here's, here's the moral issue, Jerry. When the government steps into private businesses like this and says you will pay this amount of money with your property... What is happening here is that your property is no longer your property, but the government's property because they're telling you this is how we will spend your money. We will make you spend your money this way. And so it's an issue of mm. private property, ultimately of theft. And so what do right. you speak toward to this? You say that's theft of private property. Right. That property belongs to that man or that company. The government is coming in and saying, you will spend your money in this way. We own your property. Yeah. It's theft of property. And you can't be a Calvinist if you believe... Uh, in the opposite of this principle, because that's what the te the text is saying. So, the, in a parable, the the temporal truths, like the applications, have to be true, or else it doesn't make sense. For instance, like if seeds could grow on rocky land, the parable doesn't make any sense. Of the of the parable of the uh, of the sower, sower right? Sower like of the so, seeds, like yeah. yeah, just as an example, if if seeds could grow on the rocks, or they or the seeds did not get scorched by the sun, the parable doesn't make sense. Mm. So if the vineyard owner actually owns his money, the parable makes sense. And it, can do what he pleases. And does what he pleases. What his, with his own property. That's right. So if you do not believe that the owner of a company can do what he wants with his own money, then you cannot be a consistently reformed in, the so in your view of your sovereignty. And you can't really make sense of Jesus' um, uh, story there. Because right. it's a moral thing he's teaching. Right. Um, and so, but, but watch this. As soon as you repel... Or, or, uh, and, and move away from God's word and the moral principles God teaches us in his word, then you reap the whirlwind, my friends. Because what is happening is when you force people to do this with their money and you say, I'll tell you how to spend your money, then what happens is it has actual cons consequences in the real world now. So, for example, in the states that are actually uh, hiking up the minimum wage and forcing company owners to pay a certain wage to people, what happens is now it affects the economy. Theft, believe it or not, affects right. the economy. Really, yeah. it does. So, for example, and I've been reading some articles in some of these states, Jerry, where they've raised the minimum wage, they've forced it to $15 an hour. A lot of people actually are part of movements where they won't tip workers anymore, waitresses and waiters, because what they're saying is they're doing zero tip, and they're saying underneath it, why? It's because I am now paying for the increase in the food prices, I'm, I'm now I'm paying. It's hitting my wallet because of your wage increase, so I can't tip you any longer for even good service because I've already now paid a penalty for your wage, so you get zero tip because you're already getting that. So now the labor that they're putting into it, the good work is not even being rewarded in the way mm. that it could be because now people are saying I'm not going to pay an, a, another tip over the penalty. But but think of this too. This is too. Uh, imagine for a moment that you've worked a job for five or ten years and you've worked really hard to get up to $15 an hour and then all of a sudden the minimum wage is $15 an hour. Suddenly you're just making minimum wage. That's right. And right. the employer has to decide whether or not you're worth twenty or thirty dollars an hour. Right. Right. And it's very likely no. And you'll just stay at a minimum wage position because it's going to be hard for him or her to actually afford now uh, any kind of wage increase yeah. because he's forced now to pay everyone fifteen dollars an hour and uh, pay for Obamacare. That's correct. Uh, you see, and so this begins to destroy our economy. And I want to say this: good on 
the business owners like, say, McDonald's or any fast food restaurant who actually now releases all their employees to put in a machine that does everything automatically because they're being wise with their money. It's good stewardship to say, I can actually have machines now that do the business of these people. I can actually make more money and pay less because I have a machine doing what the person did. And what have you done now? You've destroyed jobs with your $15 an hour minimum wage hike. Here's the thing. Let me see. People say, what should we do? Here's what you should do. Work for a living. Here's what you should do. Work harder. Here's what you should do. Be an entrepreneur. Here's what you should do. Build your own business. That's what you should do. The Christian work ethic, the ethic, the Protestant work ethic, the Puritan work ethic is to say you do what God gave you to the glory of God with all of your might. You build, you establish, you grow, you leave a legacy, you work hard. If you don't like $10 uh, jobs, then build a job where you get paid $1,000 an hour. Right. Yeah. And if you say that's really hard. Yep. And that's the set what separates poor people from wealthy people. We we need more Christian billionaires for the glory of God. Amen. Absolutely, yeah, we do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'd like to say that there's a Christian billionaire that has a billion dollars a year to give out to Christian ministries to establish churches. Don't we want that? Yeah, I'll of take that. Yeah, praise God for that. You know what? The hardest thing for us to break into Kauai right now is Skrilla. Skrilla, money. That's it. We need to send people there. We need to establish buildings and houses and re, re, uh, uh, redemption facilities, rehab facilities. But it, <laughs> takes, thing. it takes money to do that. And we need Christians, business owners who have lots of money that say, God gave me this for his glory and I'm going to use this money for his glory. Man, we could do it. We really could do it. And here's the thing. We have a culture that has been raised by the state that doesn't know how to live they don't, haven't been taught godly wisdom. And so you have people that are willing to live off the state and take the money that came from other people's property instead of building their own life and future. We need to have the mindset developed in people that, listen, God requires of me that I glorify him with my calling and my labor and my work. And they live their life in that direction. That's how you build success in an, an economy is people who are willing to build successfully in an economy mm. yeah well and jumping off of that in regards to having to build and create in an economy is that there's it's interesting mentioning about mcdonald's and how they're bringing in machines to do these minimal jobs and what's fascinating there's actually been multiple um articles that have been written in the economist and other people who think about who look several generations ahead to where things are going and how fast technology is developing there actually have been a lot of studies that have shown around 60 to 70 percent of the typical middle-class jobs are more than likely going to be overtaken by technology in the next, uh, I forget, like 30 to 40 years. Yep. So what's one of the downfalls of the minimum wage is that it's putting people in this victim mindset that I just need to just do the bare minimum. I never need to be challenged to actually you know, work and develop myself and work and evolve and learn new skills, new skill sets to become, because at the end of the day, you're paid the whole the way economics works is, is made by the amount of value that you bring to the marketplace, not That's exactly not the, right. not your entitlement. So right. there's I think I forget who said it is instead of working on you know trying just to make more more money or get a raise just working to focus on becoming a person of more value. Yes, and that's the problem with the middle, minimum wage is that people who are stuck there. I mean, I remember when Obama actually had someone who's a fast food worker for 20 years, and it was, it was sad to watch because he had, you know, his spokesperson that Obama's propping up, this guy who had worked at a fast food restaurant for 20 years, 
and he's like third generation and he's talking about how he has to support his family and off of this minimum wage and he's an intelligent guy who is speaking i'm thinking i felt sorry for the guy he doesn't have to support his family on minimum wage he doesn't have to like that guy could go to school in the evening develop some other further skill sets and you know there's so many different ways now jerry that would be hard <laughs> that would take work. Do hard things. Oh, that that. But that's the point. Well, let, let me just, let me just overcome yeah. an objection real quick. Okay. Because the, the people are going to say, but if there was no minimum wage, people would be getting paid like ten cent an hour, and to which I would say that'd be awesome. Because if people are getting paid ten cent an hour, the cost of goods have to decrease so people buy it, right? So the, yeah. your cost of labor is going to go down. Your cost of housing is going to go down. Everything's going to go down to, to support the wage in which the median wage in which people are paid. And the other thing is, if you're if you have a skill like, for instance, like me, uh, if, if I when I was free, when I was uh, doing video productions and TV shows, when I were to hire staff, I would not hire people that were that would say their cost is 50 bucks a day or 100 bucks a day. I had a three hundred dollar minimum that I, I paid my camera guys because I knew that people that knew they were worth that much like they, they, they had the skill they they needed to be paid that much yeah and so and so so if you if you have a skill it doesn't really matter what the minimum wage is you're going to be paid what you're worth and you're not going to let people pay you less you're paid what you what you're worth right that's the important thing to talk about there and here's the thing if you have a business owner or a company that refuses to take care of their employees then guess what that company doesn't do well because the word gets out that they treat their employee, employees poorly and they have people that don't buy from them and their employees don't work as and hard and their employees don't work as hard so this is a a beautiful circle that works when you follow God's moral principles of private property and work yeah. ethic and so that's what we need to get to the, the free market is rooted in the in the idea that people are totally depraved and out for themselves. Yep. That's how it works. And, yep. and it checks and balances without all the government interference and stuff. Okay, so now let's talk about the Democratic presidential debate. Marcus sent me this clip. I we think should we... go to break first. Oh, let's let's go to let's a break do first. That. Let's take a quick all break. Right. Let everyone uh, hit pause, go to the bathroom, whatevs. And uh, for those of you guys that are listening to us right now in a tattoo shop in Tucson, Right, we have people to listen to us in the tattoo shop in Tucson. They play in New Mexico. Mexico. They play it in their uh, tattoo parlor. Yeah, Uh, John, what's up, John? All right, guys, be right back. ApologiaRadio.com is where you get us. Don't forget to sign up for the All Access and stay tuned for the winner of our giveaway. Discussion on Reformed Theology, Doctrines of Grace, the Sovereignty of God. We're going to touch one more cultural issue. 
Let's play a little clip from the Democratic presidential debate. Please don't. This is the most, I have to. No, It's the most recent one. Okay. And has one of our favorite people. Bernie Sanders. Ginger, King Ginger. Thanks for having me in the show today. I appreciate it. You, sir, are a thief. (laughs) And you know nothing about economics. Apparently, look, you haven't read your Bible. There's all kinds of stories in there about taking care of the poor and the widows and the orphans. Maybe you need to read the Bible. Maybe. Uh, Aren't there a lot of evil? There are, there are, but I don't see any about the government doing it. Yeah, well, Senator Senator Sanders, are there lots of stories in the Old Testament about evil banks? There, there, there. Lots of evil banks, right? There might be a few. Look, you keep your mouth shut while hey, I hey, hey, Bernie do the talking. Is, Bernie is right. Like the banks are corrupt. The Federal Reserve System. Well, that's right the thing. That. Is is that yeah? You you have uh, true things being spoken. Um, and uh, I think what's interesting too, and and Marcus, you talked about this to me uh, this past week. Um, a lot of like liberals will even talk to a guy like um, uh, Rand Paul and some of his libertarian views and be like, oh yeah, oh wow. That's awesome. Yeah, Rand Paul was on uh, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah because yeah. he, he didn't get to be on the Fox debate. They just decided not to have him for no reason. And <laughs> and uh, and, and so so he went on The Daily Show instead and had an interview with Trevor Noah, who, who's absolutely a liberal. And he likes him. You know, like his answers are good answers. And he doesn't skirt the questions and he's not being political. And 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 I would I would say that you know pretty much every American wants liberty, and so when they're actually explained liberty, they don't really have a rebuttal to it. Yeah, and and that just goes to show too that the issue is always uh, on the 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 thing we should all focus on, no matter what side of the fence you're on, is are are the issues themselves, and um and again those are always pointing to moral issues, and that's what we should be focused on, not petty partisan stuff. That see that's always that's what I found I think is like the really strong arguments, and you don't hear it on any talk radio, you don't hear it on Fox or CNN, but it's always bringing whatever the issue is back to the moral core. Like so, for instance, with Bernie, he's a thief. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't Lar- care if he's in the studio. I'll tell it to his face. Yeah, I would tell it to his face. Bernie, larceny in his art. Yeah. Or, or you mean how Marco Rubio straight dropped the gospel bomb on that dude the other day? Oh, that was amazing. That was incredible. Yeah, Marco Rubio. I really don't know anything about him. Is he Roman Catholic? Or? I don't even know. But he preached the gospel to an atheist. I believe he's a Christian. He goes, yeah. he goes to both uh, Catholic and a Protestant church. Yeah. I think. Oh, he's got the bases covered, I think. Oh, oh man. man. Well, the man. gospel sounded pretty good. He, that he, he dropped the gospel bomb. Yeah. no doubt about so. that. <laughs> well, we have high, ho- high hopes for um, uh, his salvation and uh, everyone he talks to. All right, so here we go. This is Bernie Sanders, I think, talking to Hillary. Is that right, Marcus? Uh, yeah, and there's a there's another guy on the stage. No okay, one knows here who we go. I so. <laughs> know a lot about health care. And she understands, I believe, that a Medicare for All single-payer program will substantially lower the cost of health care for middle-class families. So what we have got to acknowledge, and I hope the secretary does, is we are doing away with private health insurance premiums. So instead of paying $10,000 to Blue Cross or Blue Shield, yes, 
some middle class families would be paying slightly more in taxes. But the result would be that that middle class family would be saving some $5,000 in health care costs. A little bit more Stop. in taxes. Stop. Okay. Okay. Wait. Okay. You'll be so, paying more. No, no, no. So you, you pay a tax for f- instead of buying cheeseburgers, there'll be a cheeseburger tax. And then you get free cheeseburgers. So you're actually saving more money because you're only paying a little tax as opposed to all the money you would normally spend on cheeseburgers. And and the that's fact the, that people can't see this. Right, exactly. Look, I want to talk to you about the Affordable Care Act. Bernie, what if I don't what if I don't pay premiums at all? There yeah, there you go. And and just the idea. Are you going to answer the question, Bernie? Or well, look, hey, uh, look, you want to understand that the way things work in the world is that the government owns everything, including your children. The government is your daddy. <laughs> That's how you need to see the world as it is, is that the government is your parent. And we will tell you how to spend your money, and then we'll even spend some of your money for you. What about the middle class families who are very healthy? Who don't need health insurance and don't pay any premiums. They, they need to go to a jail cell and perhaps <laughs> oh to hell. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we, uh, when we were in Kauai last week, I wish Gabe was here for this, but me and him, Marcus and Dustin, we were, Gabe came up with a really great business plan. It's really simple, actually. You take, you take money, money, you make more, more money. money. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was it. That's his, that's his business plan. Yeah, that's, but we, that's a Bernie good Sanders. His there's a there's a there's an element missing in your equation, right. uh, Rev, Reverend <laughs> right. Reverend uh, Pearson. Uh, with all due respect, uh, I would like to actually have after the part the portion where you said you make money. I'd like to have something added to that equation that says we take the money. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is his plan is actually. You take someone else's money. Yes. And then you owe more money. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Well, who is Gabe? What is his address? <laughs> so I could send some agents to his door. Gabe Janssen. To take some of that money. It's all about the money. I think that the national like slogan for my campaign should be hearkening back to an old... 1999 2000s film. It's called Jerry Maguire, and it's Show Me the Money. <laughs> that's your Bernie Sanders. Show me the money. Show me that's, your money. That's my. Show me your money. <laughs> Give that's me my your new money. Camp- Give, thank you, Reverend. You always come with the winning slogans. <laughs> Give me your money. Give me your money. That's good. These are the conversations I have daily. Thank you. You know. Um, <laughs> So, but it's amazing that we can't see the immoral nature of this. And in the end, what it is is that the government is saying, "Give us all your money, and we will spend it for you." That, that that's really what's happening here. We want to take your property, and as a government, own your property so that we can spend it in the way that we think it needs to be spent. So, when it comes to health insurance. When it comes to education, when it comes to infrastructure, we want you to give us your property and then we will spend it for you. But here's the thing. What is the government's role according to God? The government's role in Scripture is pretty clear-cut and simple and well-defined. The government's role in Scripture is to distribute justice, to enforce contracts, to organize for national 
defense or for defensive purposes. The government's job is not to run health care. The government's job is not to run education. The government's job is not to develop environmental protection agencies. Uh, and that's just not the biblically defined role of government. And what happens is, is as soon as you give the government carte blanche, you say, go ahead and, and do whatever you please, they start taking more money they start spending it in an unwise way and destroying the economy and destroying families, destroying society. And it's madness that we can't see when someone says, um, look, uh, you're paying you're paying this premium now, but we want you to pay that to the government instead. So we'll go ahead and, and you'll get free health care. Right. How did we not see that? slip and jab how do we not see slide that? of hand slide of hand uh, it's 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 just not the way the world works and here's one thing that needs to be stated very very clearly everybody saw this coming right i mean think about it when when, when when president barack obama said that we're doing national health care and he started this system that is already not working it's already not functioning properly when he lied to the American people and told them that they can keep their plan, when he lied to the American people and told them that, you know, it's not going to go up in premiums, right. all those were lies. You couldn't keep your plan. Everybody's eating more in terms of cost. But here's the thing. Everybody knew that what we were moving towards was a single-payer system, which means that the government is the single-payer for health insurance nationwide. They're the single-payer. You pay the government more taxes. They do a single-pay and they pay for health care. Everybody knew that's where it was going. Bernie Sanders was just the man who was brave enough to go all in. And it didn't even take 20 years. It took the end of the president's term for everyone to start saying single payer, single payer, single payer. And let me just say, it's going to destroy the economy. And it already is destroying the economy. We don't have the money to pay for it. I, I think, have you guys seen the tables recently coming up? People actually showing the actual plan and cost of Bernie Sanders' suggestions. No. No, it's impossible. Well, it's it's yes. not possible. Well, I heard that if you took 100% of uh, the top 1%'s income in the United States, it would only be $616 billion. That's all? Yes. So it wouldn't essentially pay for even like one like of these big programs. No. It's not, not enough to even pay for no. a, one of the, the, the big programs. No, because if you think about like the richest people in the world, like let's say like Donald Trump, he's only worth about $10 billion, right? Like that's not a lot. And so there's not a lot of the 1%. And so together it's only, it's, it's not even a trillion dollars. Yeah. So. Well, <laughs> I found Bernie's uh, campaign song. Did you? Yeah. Please. Is that going to play it? Yes. Please do. Can't wait. It's playing. <laughs> it's it should be playing sometime soon. <laughs> this is the this is a good campaign song for uh. Well, it shows. I don't know why it's not playing. It shows the quality. There it is. There it is. The dollar, dollar, dollar is what I need. Hey, hey. Well, I need the dollar, dollar, dollar is what I need. Hey, hey. Said I need the dollar, dollar, dollar is what I need. And if I share with you my story, would you share your dollar with me? Hey, hey. Bad time coming that I'
the Bernie Sanders um, campaign manager and be like, look, this you need to play when you start <laughs> your campaign rallies because it is very accurate. Um, I'd really like to hear a Bernie saying version of this. Can, can I just say, though, uh, yes. yes, that, uh, you know, we see Bernie Sanders, who's like a radical socialist. And then on the other end, we have like Rand Paul, maybe, maybe kind of Ted Cruz. But I mean, Ted Cruz is trying to pretend to be that at least. But so you have like these two extremes because the nation is is they've come to the conclusion that the middle is not working. Right. right, like the politics yeah. are not working, so that's why you have someone like Bernie Sanders who can rise up. And Bernie Sanders, the only thing Bernie Sanders is saying is everything the media has been saying for the past ten years. So when people hear Bernie Sanders, they're like, "Oh, that's absolutely right." And now the 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 media, who is you know maybe probably more middle than radical socialists like Bernie, the media is like, "Oh man, this is." What what has happened here? Yeah, because <laughs> they weren't expecting everything to go that far. But for all the people who are who haven't really studied economics and only listening to what the media says, Bernie is just speaking right to everything the media has been saying for the past ten years. And then everybody else is leaning, you know, to you know, like the Rand Paul, the more libertarian direction too on the other end. So. There, there, there's creating two new parties that's happening. It's, it's really going to be a good fight. It is going to be a good fight. A good and, fight. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably lose. <laughs> but not in the end. Not in the end. Because Jesus is but putting sh- all of his enemies in, under his In the short feet. term, unless something amazing happens. Like repentance? Like repentance. Yeah. It, it'll be really hard for Bernie's position to not win out. Yes, sir. So. All right, so here we go. Uh, Dr. James White versus Dave Hunt. This is an old one, but a good one. Dr. James White versus Dave Hunt. Um, uh, Jerry, were you and I listening to this live when it happened? I, Dr. James White was on KPXQ, yes. and he used to run the Marty Mento show mm-hmm. on occasion. I know we used to listen to him all the time. And uh, we would tune in as uh, whenever he was on. Uh, but Dr. James White had Dave Hunt on KPXQ uh, probably about 15 this, years ago. Yes. And just so you know, I think a good setup for this is um, actually uh, Daniel Day-Lewis uh, would love to uh, kind of give really he, – he actually volunteered to give the setup for this uh, next segment. We have a, not a, a lot yeah. of new he, listeners. He, he's, a, he's a big fan. And uh, we love you all very much, and we appreciate you guys listening to the show. We are Reformed. Uh, we are Calvinistic. Uh, we believe in the five points. And we're going to engage in a discussion on Reformed theology right now, Calvinism, the doctrines of grace. And so we are going to... On my challenge, by the ancient laws of combat, we are met at this chosen ground to settle for good and all. Who holds sway over the five points? <laughs> Perfect. Uh, very perfect. All right. Sounded like Bernie Sanders a little bit. It did a bit. A bit, yeah. <laughs> so this is really, listen, it's, an, it's, 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 about, it's over an hour-long discussion. Dave Hunt uh, was on with Dr. James White on KPXQ, and this is really interesting because this is uh, available on YouTube. You guys got to hear it. James White versus Dave Hunt, the actual radio program. Uh, it really is a blessing to listen to. This was Dave Hunt and James White rapping about Reformed theology, the doctrines of grace. Rapping? And this they're is, ra- yeah, this, they're listen. Rapping? They rapping? There needs to be an epic rap battle in history with this done. That would be really good. <laughs> um, but uh, this was the one where Dave Hunt 
when he was confronted by Dr. White, said that he has not studied the Reformers, he has not read the Reformers. And I think it was like six to eight months later, he published a book on Reformed theology called uh, What Love Is This? And uh, it was just really amazing that in that short period of time, he became an expert on the subject. But here's a section of that just for fun. James White talking to Dave Hunt. The point I want to make, and then if you want to talk about foreknowledge, I'd be glad to discuss the term foreknown with you because it's, it's very, very important, and we've, we've still got some time here. But the, question, the, the point I want to make in light of what you said before the break was that if, if, if you were saying you're God, so I'll turn it around, mm-hmm. if, if you're God mm-hmm. created this universe knowing that billions were going to end up in hell, and he created it to where he was going to try but fail to save all those billions, are you saying that that is more biblical than teaching that God created this universe, that he allowed the fall to take place, that he redeems a specific people unto himself in Jesus Christ, and that he glorifies himself both in the redemption of the elect and in the just punishment of those that he passes over? I believe that he can only be glorified in the just punishment of those who reject him if they have a genuine choice and if they suffer because they genuinely rejected him and not because he refused or neglected to give them irresistible grace. That's so, not the position, Dave. You're not, you're not here. Grace cannot, to, to, to neglect to give someone something means that you have to give them something. No, it doesn't. No, Mercy doesn't. and grace cannot be demanded, Dave. No, I, I'm not saying grace is demanded, but I'm saying if I'm sitting... Yeah, that's exactly what you're saying, uh, Dave. Uh, Here's what's important to get in the discussion about um, uh, Calvinism. We talk about the doctrines of grace. Really, and I want to say this, Reformed theology is much, much bigger than the five points. And so if somebody says they're Reformed simply because they adhere to the five points of Calvinism, it's like, well, you've got a ways to go. There's more to Reformed theology than the five points. But Reformed theology, when we talk about uh, soteriology, uh, God saving people and foreknowing them before the foundation of the earth, predestining them, predestining them, calling them, uh, justifying them, and glorifying them. Here's what the Calvinist says, that God uh, knew uh, before the foundation of the world, because it was wrapped up in his decree, that he would save a particular people in Jesus Christ. He would call them to himself. He would save them. Nothing uh, would stop that plan. They would persevere till the end. God knew that plan. God made that plan. And God is doing that plan and what, what someone like Dave Hunt says is, well, what about all the people that go to hell? Are you saying that God had predestined people to be saved and therefore had predestined people to go to hell? And there's a big discussion to be had on that mm. about equal ultimacy. It's not the same thing when God chooses to give grace to some, but chooses to leave others in their sin. It's not the same action. It's different. Um, but listen, both systems have that problem. If you believe that God knows all things— then you also have that problem if you're an Arminian, the problem that God knew before the foundation of the world that he would create people who would reject them and that he created them anyways, knowing full well they would reject them. You still have God planning before the world began to send people to judgment and destruction. And so what the Calvinist says is that God knew who he would give grace to, which was undeserved. It wasn't demanded of him. He could have, and ultimately in justice, should have left people to their sin and their hardness against him and to have what they wanted, which is ultimately their own sin. But God chose to give grace to some, which I believe personally 
that that sum is going to be the, the larger mass of humanity in the very end. Abraham having descendants as numerous as the stars is a lot of stars. Uh, Jesus returns to a wheat field, not a tare field. Um, but I believe that God chooses to save some, he gives grace to some, and that he passes over others and chooses to leave them in their hardness towards him and their hatred for him. But see, the Arminian who says that God knows all things, think about it, before the foundation of the world, knew before he created that he would create people that would never believe in him, would not love him. He created them anyway, knowing full well they would go to hell. See the point? Everybody believes, if you believe God is all-knowing, unless you're an open theist, that God knew when he created people full well that they would go to hell. Mm. Both positions believe that. So the question is, which is more biblical, that God knew and chose to give grace to some and to leave others, or that God knew and created people knowing full well they would choose against him and they went to hell and could do nothing about it and was impotent? Which one is more biblical? You guys want to say something? Well, doesn't it? I mean, ultimately, if you get to the presuppositions of both both positions, at some point God created the world. Yes, right. Like at some, and when he, if he knows all things, when he created the world, when he snapped his fingers and and said and said, uh, uh, "Let there be light." At that moment, he already created everything that was going to happen and come into place. So. Like like everybody that exists comes from essentially the imagination of God. Mm. So I don't like I, I, it. Seems to me that Arminians have the same problem ultimately at at a at a at a at, at some point in the in the creation. They have to ask the same question, which has to lead you to open theism, which is probably the most consistent position. Is that well, God doesn't know the future. Well, that's the thing. Is what mm. Doctor White says often is that open theism is consistent Arminianism. Yeah, yeah right, absolutely. That's why people fall into it. And that's also why Arminianism is so ultimately theologically dangerous. Now, here's the thing. Um, I believe that people who hold to Arminian uh, aspects of, of soteriology, there are, of course, believers, of course, in mass. But thank God that they're inconsistent Arminians. Uh, that's, right. that's, that's the point. Thank God you're right. inconsistent Arminians. Um, I, I do not believe that somebody that holds to full blown Arminianism, uh, that believes ultimately it's your own works in there that have the ultimate say in whether or not you're reconciled to God. I do not believe that that's the gospel, but I thank God for inconsistent Arminians. And here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I put up a post like t- two weeks ago and somebody came on the post. It was it was about you know God's uh, so, uh, his sovereignty, and it was about predestination. Yeah. And they said this is a pointless debate and a waste of time. And I want to say to that nonsense, nonsense. A pointless debate over entire chapters of the Bible that God speaks on a particular subject. A pointless debate over an issue that Jesus spoke clearly on and the Apostle Paul spoke clearly on, where the Apostle Paul dedicates whole chapters to this to this subject, where Jesus has whole chapters mm. of this subject, a pointless debate. No, it, it may be an uncomfortable debate for right. you because maybe you haven't uh, researched this. If you haven't spent the time digging into it, it might be uncomfortable. It's certainly not pointless because what's really at stake in the sovereignty of God discussion and the predestination discussion is the grace of God and salvation. That's what's at stake 
ultimately. There are other issues that are at stake, but the grace of God and salvation is what's at stake. If you get this issue wrong, the grace of God is ultimately destroyed in the discussion surrounding our salvation. So let's do a little bit more. Here, and I have the option. We've got uh, 20 people in a burning building, and I have the option by my grace to rescue all of them, and I have the power to do it. Now, you're going to say, I rescue five of them, and now this is to the glory of my grace? No, you, I don't you, think so. <laughs> Dave, no, no, you need to understand what the Reformed position is. I'm let's trying use, to let's understand use, it. <laughs> let's use the same illustration. Those 20 people are rebels, and you're the king. And they are in a bil- burning building after having killed your family, raped, murdered, and pillaged. They are criminals that have escaped from death row in your prison, having been justly sentenced to death. They have started the fire in their own building. And what the Calvinist is saying is that even though it would be perfectly just and righteous for God to allow that punishment to fall upon them, that what he does is he sends his son into the burning building to save those five people, knowing it will cost him his life to bring them out. They're totally undeserving. That brings him glory. And the point is that when the son goes into the building, there is no possibility that he will fail to save those he was sent in to save. Well, problem is... Why wasn't he sent in to save everybody if God is loving? And it does not glorify God that he saves five people when he could save them all. Furthermore, there you go. And so there is the faulty presupposition is that grace is demanded and mercy owed. Right. Mm. And that that goes to show that the Arminian belief system, and that's basically what what Hunt holds to on these particular points, has an unbiblical anthropology, an unbiblical view of of men and women, mankind. When you say, why didn't God just go in and save everybody? You're saying that essentially God that's owed to them by God, that maybe they're not so bad after all. But if you read the book of Romans, you see a much different portrait of mankind. You see from Romans chapter one, we're haters of God. We suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. It says in Romans uh, chapter three that there is none righteous, not even one. Our feet are swift to shed blood. There's no fear of God before our eyes. When you think about that, you think even further into Romans chapter 5 where it says we are helpless, we are ungodly, we are sinners. That is our real condition. And so when you think about those foundations, we're really rebels. Ephesians chapter 2, by nature children of wrath. Jesus says the wrath of God abides on us. Romans chapter 8, it says that we are in the flesh and we cannot submit to the law of God. We're not even able to do so. We cannot do what's pleasing to God. That's our spiritual condition. And so when you ask the question, why, wasn't, why wouldn't God save anybody? You're asking the wrong question. The question should really be, why would God save even one from mm-hmm. that burning building? Why would It's not demanded of him. And here's the thing. A man like Dave Hunt, who is actually with the Lord now, um, he, he, he passed away, I think, two years ago. Um, he's inconsistent here because he would not treat a judge, a human judge, in the way he's treating God here. Your Honor, why don't you let all the criminals go? Your Honor, you really should let every thief go. Your Honor, you really should let every child molester and rapist go. You really should let every murderer go. You wouldn't treat a human judge like that, but for some reason we treat God like that. And I think the reason we treat God like that is because we are the sinners in God's court. 
And we don't like to think about ourselves in that way, but it's true. We're the sinners in God's court. We're the criminals in his universe. We're the ones that are owed his justice. And so we don't like to think about ourselves in that way. But in reality, that's the truth. We're haters of God. We're hostile towards God. We're enemies. We're ungodly. We're helpless. We are not righteous. We are non-God seeking. And what does a good judge have to do with criminals and the unjust? A good judge must judge. And the beauty of the gospel is that God, as the good judge, as the perfect judge, did judge in Jesus Christ. He actually paid the full penalty and justice on our behalf. God didn't simply say, well, I'm going to let you go and just let it go. He actually paid the justice, the penalty, and gave it all to his son so that those he gave grace to actually had their sins paid for. But what it also means is that those that God leaves, chooses to leave in their sin, are getting ready what they want. They're getting what they deserve. Everybody who is in hell according to God's plan, to allow them to go there, to destine them ultimately to that final place, everybody that is in hell is getting what they ultimately wanted and desired. They're not getting something they didn't want. They're getting what they wanted. Guys? Anybody? Sounds great. Okay. We'll do one (laughs) more little piece here. If he had extended irresistible grace, and we don't even know why Adam and Eve sinned unless they had the power of choice, I believe the power of choice is essential For man to be able to love, I can't even love my wife without the power of choice. Did Adam and Eve have the power of choice? Yep. Yep. God created man upright, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, but he has sought out many devices. And Adam and Eve were created without sin. They weren't perfect in their righteousness yet. It was a period of testing. Uh, God promised blessings and curses to them. Curses if they disobeyed, they disobeyed. And when they disobeyed, Romans chapter 5, through one man, death came upon all men, spiritual death. And so what happened is that after Adam and Eve All of humanity is in a completely different place. Mm -hmm. The sons and daughters of Adam and Eve are not in the same place that Adam and Eve were in. By the way, we don't know a lot about Adam and Eve, their their condition. Uh, The Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about it, but we do know that they were different than us. And after Adam and Eve, all of us, sons and daughters of Adam, John chapter 6, are unable, are not even able to come to God. John 6, 44, mm. no man can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up. Jesus says he raises up the one the father draws. But notice it says no man is able to come to me, not even able to come to God. Why? Because we're fallen, because we're rebels. If you left humanity to themselves, all of us would go to hell. It is not us that initiates a relationship with God. It is him who initiates that relationship with us. And I'm going to say this, that anybody that God chooses to draw salvifically, anybody who who God draws salvifically is saved. He loses nobody. Mm-hmm. And proof of that is in John chapter 6, 44. No man can come unless what? The Father who sent me draws him, mm-hmm. and I will raise him, him up. up. He raises up the one the Father draws. I certainly can't love God. And now you Dave, correct let me, me correct you let, something. Let, let me finish. You correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like everything I, I am totally dead. Everything, even after yes. I become a Christian, yep. God must make me somehow by his irresistible grace, he must cause me to live the kind of life I'm going to live. Yep. Yep. 
That sounds like Ezekiel 36. <laughs> it sounds like Ezekiel 36, where God says in Ezekiel 36, he says very, very clearly that for his name's sake, the name that they have profaned, that they have caused to be profaned among the nations, Ezekiel 36, he will sprinkle clean water on them. He will put his spirit within them. He will remove the heart of stone, give a heart of flesh. And he says this, I will cause you to observe my statutes. Mm. I will cause you to observe my mm. statutes. By the way, isn't it simple? Isn't Christian uh, theology about God that when God regenerates us and makes us alive, that we bear fruit of the what? Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So where's the fruit come from? Hmm. Oh, Spirit. The Spirit. Oh, the Spirit. <laughs> so, and, and what's amazing there is that what you see is that Dave Hunt and any Arminian, their, their soteriology is man Centered, right? And there is the fundamental difference between Calvinism and Arminianism, between Reformed theology and all the rest. Is that Reformed theology is fundamentally, foundationally God-centered. It is not about man. It is about God. It is theocentric, not anthropocentric. It is about God and not man. And watch, and listen as you see people who believe Arminian principles. Watch and see how ultimately the conversation lands back on man. The decision to be saved mm -hmm. is ultimately on man. It's not God. All that happens in the Christian life to persevere is on man, not God. That is where Arminianism leads, and that's why Arminianism ultimately is destructive to the gospel and to the witness of the church. Doesn't that make man a robot? No, and see, that's a thing here that people miss, right, Randy? Is they think that when you say that God predestines, that God calls, that God does all this work, that, that basically you're a robot. No, we are making choices, and they are the choices that we want to make, but those choices are being fed by our nature. The will operates on the, on the basis of the nature. Mm -hmm. If it's a fallen nature, there are fallen choices. Mm -hmm. If it's an alive nature, they are alive spiritual choices. So why does anybody choose to do anything towards God or anything good? It is because the nature is now different. We're spiritually alive. And I want to say this, that gives God all the glory. Yep. God is the one who's changed your nature. And therefore, that's why your choices are different towards God, because God is the one who's doing that within you. But the person who has fallen is not being forced by God to do fallen things. They're doing what they want to do. And that's what we need to keep in mind here is that all of this discussion about choices and will falls in the Bible, ultimately upon the nature of and will of man and people say free will free will free will there is no free will on this side of adam and eve it is a fallen will mm -hmm. it is a will that is enslaved to our own yeah. passions and desires and proof of that is jesus in john chapter 8 when jesus says very plainly whoever commits sin is a slave of sin but he promises his work he says but if the sun sets you free you shall be free indeed there's our freedom from slavery Amen. and who's the one that sets us free it's jesus christ yep. and it's only him and he gets all the praise and all the glory we will be right back what's up y'all this is jeff durbin with apologia radio at apologiaradio.com want to talk to you guys about an amazing connection that we have right now with Whitfield Theological Seminary. I want you to run over to whitfield.edu, whitfield.edu, W-H-I-T-E, 
F-I-E-L-D dot E-D-U. I want you to check out the programs they have. They have undergraduate programs at Whitfield College, and they also have Whitfield Theological Seminary for the graduate degree and above and beyond. I, I think you'll really be impressed with the rigorous nature of the classes, the consistent biblical worldview taught and adhered to. I want you to contact Whitfield Theological Seminary at whitfield.edu. Get a hold of our friend, Dr. Kenneth Talbot, and start your classes today. ApologiaRadio.com. Hi, guys. Welcome back. As promised, we're going to announce our winner. We're going to do it right now. So we've done this before. And uh, how long ago is this? About two years ago? Three years ago? It was last year. Was it it only last year? Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. No. No, Well, not technically last year. It was technically 2014. So it was around two Decembers ago, oh, okay, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, yes, you're right. So last year was only what three weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, so we had Dakota Kramer. Yes. He won from Canada, a. A. And uh, he was the first. We brought him out to Arizona. We had Meat Fest 2006, 2014, 2014, 2014 and uh, he got to spend a day with us in the in the studio. He got to be on the radio program. Put him up in a hotel. It was a lot of fun, and now we're doing it again. We had all of our all-access um, participants, all of our all-access partners, uh, put into a big uh, computer bucket, and uh, yeah. we have a program that randomly selects a name out of all these people, and we have officially selected a name. So here is what's going to happen. We are going to... Fly this person out. We are going to have you be in the studio with us. You'll be on the program with us. You're going to get to hang out, get a tour of this whole place. Uh, we're going to take you out that night to Meat Fest 2017. Right, 16. Sorry, 16. I'm forgetting. What to, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's a long day. <laughs> we never a long time. time. 2016. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to Fogadishau. Yes. Fogadishau. Uh, Fogadishau is a place where they come and they... They come to your table uh, over and over and over again with meat on swords. And they, these guys are wandering around the restaurant. They have filet mignon. They have sirloin and sausages sausage and, and chicken, rib, chicken and a lamb. They lamb. have the lamb. Good stuff. Good stuff. And and what's interesting about this place is, uh, I know I'm keeping you on suspense right now, um, you have this little green... Uh, yes. card on one side and it's red on the other and it's mm. basically a stoplight yep it's uh please help me stop uh and then there's green <laughs> which means go i'm ready to place more meat into my hole in my face and, it's and if just, you don't flip it to red they're, they're they will show up they with will meat. keep coming and shaving off yeah. the meat onto your onto your plate it's yeah. just it's awesome <laughs> it's really great and uh you're gonna get to experience it with us and uh so are you ready we didn't get a drum roll here, uh, ready or drone, drone roll. A drone, a drone roll. So let's, uh, Luke, you give the. Uh... All right, and the winner of the 2016 Meat Fest Arizona Studio Tour Challenge is da-da! Robert Crane from Washington. Da-da-da! Yeah. Only the highest of tech uh, yeah. sound effects we have here on Apologia. Yeah. Radio. So Robert Crane from Washington, come on down. You won, man. 
And uh, so, praise God, congratulations, Robert Crane. We're going to bring you to Arizona. So we will be uh, in touch with you, and we're, we're looking forward to having you come down uh, to hang out with us for a day in the studio. And want to thank all of our All Access participants, every one of you guys. You make everything we do possible. Um, the studio, any kind of content we put out uh, to, to the world right now, any content we give to you guys, everything happens because of your faithful giving and your participation. So we're grateful. And we do plan on doing more of these types of things on a regular basis. We want to do more giveaways just to bless you guys because we're grateful for you guys. And uh, none of this is possible without God's gift of you to us. So thank you guys so very, very much. And Robert, congratulations, man. And please make sure you show up with a cell phone. You can ask the the crater. The crater. (laughs) The crater, that's his new name. (laughs) You can ask the crater uh, what happens when you don't come to another country with a with the cell phone what's and, with canadians eh i don't know i couldn't well, i couldn't find him i literally i literally was calling his sister somehow i had a sister no i looked her up on facebook and i was like i what does dakota look like and i was able to track him down bring a cell phone and the thing i think maybe is canada has awful cell service oh yeah situation it costs a lot Socialist. of money and you can't use a lot of data it's just crazy no unlimited data yeah yeah so like you know we have netflix like just pull up your phone oh, i'm bored right now in a doctor's office i'm gonna watch a film like making a murderer or something, and you're watching Netflix, and you know you just do it kind of ad well YouTube videos. I'm gonna watch that whole two hours right now. Canada, not so much. You'll pay for That's it. That's what happens when you are ruled by socialist people. So, um, so hey, thank you for listening to the show today, guys. We we did a lot today. We talked about reform theology. We talked about political stuff. We talked about. NPR in the news kind of stuff, not public radio. Steady Randy, thank you. You're welcome. And <laughs> we didn't mention that Randy came looking the part today. Uh-huh. What do you call this that you're wearing right now? I thought it was like a Kooji. I don't think so. No, it, no. Just, it, it could pass as, it's as the, uh, it's NPR wear. It's NPR wear. NPR wear. It's, <laughs> it's like a very comfortable it's NPR uh, kind sweater. of sweater uh, vest I like it. situation. It looks nice. Thank you. It, it matches looks, your beard. It looks very NPR. <laughs> And uh, Randy has the greatest NPR voice. All right, guys, so don't forget, we're looking for some of our listeners to make very creative bumper music for us. So give us a bumper uh, segment, 20 seconds long, as an opener to our political commentary segments where we engage political stuff with the gospel and the biblical worldview. And we'll announce the winner. We'll play your stuff. We'll even have you on the radio. I think that's about it. I think that's about all we have to do. So keep... Coming back, guys. Stay tuned to all the great stuff we have. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Please leave your iTunes reviews. Yes. Oh, go to and iTunes. And go to Mission Aware. Now we're live. MissionAware.com. It's where you guys can go to get these wonderful T-shirts. That I'm rocking the JC. JC Ryle. Ryle, hey, not Jesus Christ. That's right. By the way, every year I like to read JC Ryle's Holiness. Just so I remember how awful I am. Yeah, just to get kicked in the teeth. Just to get kicked in the spiritual yeah. teeth. It's good for you. RC, uh, JC Ryle, holiness, need to get on that. That's all. <laughs> hey, Randy's also wearing a monergism shirt today. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which goes very, very well with our subject of today. Monergism well is one force at work in salvation versus synergism, where there are two forces working together synergistically to make salvation possible. Monergism is the way to go, right? That's right. All right, guys. So thank you guys for joining us today. Get more at ApologiaRadio.com. Don't forget to sign up for all access to get our great content. 
There is a new Apology Academy coming up very soon. That's the final one for the Apology Academy on apologetics. And we have a new one coming very soon with John Sampson on the Doctrine of Salvation. A lot of what we talked about today will be in there. And some stuff I'm not going to mention. It's in the works right now. It's happening. It's, 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 uh, it's, um, very cool stuff. In the plans, in the it's works. Very so, awesome. Very awesome. But it's so, top secret. Top secret. Apologiaradio.com is where you get us. Thank you guys. Bless you. We love you.